heaven. Uh, most people remember King Solomon as a man who built the temple, uh, but during his reign he was occupied with many different activities. And these chapters that we're, we're going to be looking at, chapter 7 as well as chapter 9 and 10, portion of these, uh, record some of the things that Solomon did to advance the kingdom. And uh, they reveal his character, expose some of the areas of weakness, and gradually Solomon become more interested in the uh, value and materialistic things than he would in the reputation of the Lord. And so he was more, he got so consumed with, you know, the reputation, the character uh, of himself, of Israel, and the grandeur, and, and all the beauty of the kingdom, uh, rather than exalting the Lord. And so Solomon builds a palace here, uh, verse 1 of chapter 7. But Solomon was building his own house 13 years, and he finished all his house. Now, if you remember, the Solomon built the temple in seven years, but he spends 13 years building his house. He built also the house of the forest of Lebanon. The length thereof was 100 cubits, and the breadth thereof 50 cubits, and the height thereof 30 cubits, upon four rows of cedar pillars with cedar beams upon the pillars. He goes through some of the, uh, the details of these. And uh, verse 10, And the foundation was of costly stone, even great stones, stones of ten cubits and stones of eight cubits. And above were costly stones after the measures of huge stones and cedars. And the great court round about was with three rows of huge stones and a row of cedar beams, both for the inner court of the house of the Lord and for the porch of the house. So he spends a tremendous time on his palace and the structures here. But it took several more years uh, for Hiram and his crew to decorate an interior, uh, you know, the interior and construct the building of his house. While they were busy at the temple, Solomon designed, uh, uh, you know, at the same time the temple's going on, he's building a place for himself. He spends almost twice as long uh, for the very place that he's going to live in. And uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 4, he does talk about this a little bit. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 4. He said, I made me great works, I builded me houses, I planted me vineyards, Ecclesiastes 2.4. So there's an understanding of, look at all that I have done, look at all that I've built. And when we read a description of the beauty of this place, get the impression there were several isolated structures. The two houses or buildings, the temple and the king's house. The palace was twice as large as the temple and probably had two, if not three, stories. It was 150 feet long, if you read verses 1 through 12, and uh, 75 feet wide and 45 feet high. So the, the, the width, the height of the temple, or his house, excuse me, was about, just about three feet wider than the width of this uh, auditorium. Uh, it was about the length of this auditorium, uh, or uh, the uh, width, excuse me, the width of it was the length of this auditorium, and the entire width of his house, or the length of his house, was the size of our entire church building, roughly. Okay, so it was an incredibly large, large, well, it was actually 20, I think our church is about 130, 140 feet long, so you're about 15, 20 feet longer than the length of this building, and uh, I mean, it was an unbelievable structure. How large was his temple, or his house? It had two porches, colonnades, his own residence, he had a residence for his Egyptian wife, perhaps part of his harem there, the 700 wives. 
He had a throne room or a porch of judgment, a spacious reception hall, all tied together by a large courtyard set off by walls. Now, we don't necessarily have a detailed description to guide us in all of the facets of his house, but a large hall with 60 cedar pillars, verses 2 and 3 of chapter 7. He built also the house of the forest of Lebanon. The length thereof was 100 cubits, and the breadth uh, thereof 50 cubits, and the height thereof 30 cubits, upon four rows of cedar pillars, with cedar beams upon the pillars. And it was covered with cedar upon the beams that lay on 45 pillars, 15 in a row. So he has a tremendous amount of the hall of pillars, a large assembly hall. Fifteen pillars are placed opposite each other against the walls, to the right, to the left entrance. Fifteen down the center room, all bearing the cedar beams. Now, the abundance of these cedar was from obviously from Lebanon. And uh, it was known as the house of the forest of Lebanon, as we see, verse 2, right? He builds also the house of the forest of Lebanon. And uh, an incredible structure for an official uh, you know, official government. I mean, he just went all out. And obviously the wisdom that God gave him allowed him uh, to build such a spectacular, opulent place. Now it says in 1 Kings chapter 10, if you want to look there, 1 Kings chapter 10, verses 16 and 17. And there's much to be said about Solomon and all of his labors that he did. He had uh, 300 large shields and 200 smaller shields, all made of wood covered with gold. Now, obviously, we know that gold is not a very good, it's a very soft metal, and it's not very good for defense. But verse 16 of 1 Kings 10, And King Solomon made 200 targets of beaten gold. 600 shekels of gold went to one target, and he made 300 shields of beaten gold. Three pound of gold went to one shield, and the king put them in the house of the forest of Lebanon. Now, again, these shields were not for protective measures, but they were of uh, a beauty, right? They were there for uh, a decor. And so what he ends up doing, he ends up taking about 1,500 pounds, and uh, the smaller shields were about three and a half pounds apiece. He made about, about 1,025 pounds, a total of 2,525 pounds of gold. For all 500 shields. Can think about this. 2,525 pounds of gold. When today an ounce of gold sells for roughly $1,700, $1,800 an ounce. You have about 16 ounces to a pound. And uh, uh, I mean just an unbelievable weight. And, and, and the weight of all this. But let, I mean he has over a ton of gold. You're talking just millions and millions and millions of dollars. To put... 500 shields to sit on the wall and look pretty. Now, when I'm thinking about it, just in the practical aspect of what he's building, imagine all the servants that have to go through and dust that. Don't touch it. You're going to get your fingerprints on it. I mean, just you're trying to prevent it from being tarnished. You're trying, you're trying to prevent anything from touching it. I mean, you want it to be spotless. It, I mean, to, to clean his house would have been just a nightmare. I mean, obviously, he would have needed many, many servants to do that. But... You know, they're taken from the building only for, you know, special ceremonial occasions. Now, from the throne room, from the, you move into the porch of judgment, where Solomon would meet his officers, he would settle disputes, and he, give, he gave judgment concerning his governmental affairs. And it was here he had a magnificent throne described. 1 Kings chapter 10, verse 18. Moreover, uh, the king made a great throne of ivory and overlaid it with the best gold. 
The throne had six steps, and the top of the throne was round behind him. And there were stays on either side of the place of the seat, and two lions uh, stood beside the stays. And twelve lions stood there on the one side and on the other upon the six steps. There was not the like made in any kingdom. I mean, just imagine this throne. Six steps coming up, and you have the lions there. You know, it's just, it's all about grandeur and pomp and circumstance and uh, look at me. His living quarters, and he also had a queen's quarters, were behind the throne room. Chapter 7, verses 7 and 8, we'll read. Now, I am getting to a point with all of this. Then made he a porch for the throne where he might judge, even the porch of judgment. And it was covered with cedar from one side of the floor to the other. This is verse 7 and 8 of chapter 7. And his house where he dwelt had another court within the porch, which was of the like work. Solomon made also a house for Pharaoh's daughter, whom he had taken to wife, like unto this porch. Now, in all of his building, what he does, he does something kind of foolish. Chapter 9, let's look at chapter 9, verse 10. Now, we remember that Hiram, king of Tyre, has given a significant amount of cedar. Uh, he's given uh, hewers of wood. I mean, just uh, Hiram has been a great friend of Israel. But in chapter 9, verse 10 particularly, he disappoints his friend. Uh, David, you know, David had told Hiram about his plan to build the temple. Chapter 5, verses 1 through 3, but the Lord obviously didn't permit David to do such. And then in verse, chapter 9, verse 10, And it came to pass at the end of twenty years, when Solomon had built the two houses, the house of the Lord and the king's house, now Hiram, the king of Tyre, had furnished Solomon with cedar trees and fir trees, and with gold according to all his desire. That Then King Solomon gave Hiram twenty cities in the land of Galilee. And Hiram came out from Tyre to see the cities which Solomon had given him, and they pleased him not. David dies. Hiram becomes Solomon's friend. He sent timber unspeakable amounts. Spent gold. He conscripted Jewish men to cut these stones. He also supplied 120 talents of gold, about four and a half tons of gold to Solomon. He had at least 3,750 tons of gold available before he begins to build the temple. But the fact that he has to get more gold, it's a surprise. Can you imagine? He has 3,750 tons of gold on reserve. They build the temple, but he still needs more gold. So he goes to Hiram and he gets this gold. He needed this gold for his palace complex, for the shields. So he borrows it. And as a collateral, he gives away 20 cities. Now I want you to understand, what land are the Israelites dwelling in? The promised land, correct? God had given that to Abraham, and God gave it to Israel. What right does Solomon have to give away that which belongs to God's people? He doesn't. Now, we understand from Leviticus 25, 23, that in the year of Jubilee, you know, the, none of the land could be deeded away permanently. You couldn't give away the land. 
On the year of Jubilee, Leviticus 25, 8, the land was to be returned to the original owners. Why is that? So that the Israelites were not deprived of their inheritance, so one tribe didn't lose their land. But Solomon is beginning to act like the Egyptian king whose daughter he married, who gave him several lands. Let's look at verse 16 of chapter uh, 9. For Pharaoh, king of Egypt, had gone up and taken Gezer and burnt it with fire and slain the Canaanites that dwelt in the city and given it for a present unto his daughter Solomon's wife. So he takes the city and he gives it, he burns it up, he deals with it, and then he gives it to his wife, Solomon's wife. But in the gift that Solomon gives to Hiram, he is disappointed. In fact, he, would go, he was very displeased with it, uh, so much so that he would even call it, in verse 13, and he said, What city are these which thou hast given me, my brother? And he called them the land of Kabul unto this day. What is the word Kabul? The word Kabul sounds like a Hebrew word which means good for nothing. Hiram says, what you've given me in the collateral isn't worth what I've given you. Now, Solomon would go on to pay back the loan and uh, retrieve those cities, 2 Chronicles chapter 8, and he'd rebuild them for the Israelites. Did he pay off? Potentially, look with me at chapter 10, verse 10. This is the queen of Sheba. She comes in chapter 10. She comes to see Solomon and looks at all of the grandeur and everything going on. And she gave the king 120 talents of gold and of spices, very great store and precious stones. So it goes on here. Did he potentially take the 120, 120 talents of gold given by queen of Sheba and give them to Hiram so he could uh, return the 20 cities that he had given to Hiram, which were not acceptable to him? We don't know, but we do know that obviously he had retrieved the cities. And uh, he exhibits in this incident some character traits that really disturb us. He goes to such extravagance that he has to borrow more for his house. 3,750 tons of gold. I, I, I can't even imagine that. I, I remember as a young kid, there was this uh, show, this cartoon, DuckTales, and I remember that, that duck jumping into all these gold coins, and he loved these gold coins. I mean, 3,750 tons is an unbelievable amount. And yet, it wasn't enough to satisfy Solomon. You know, humanly speaking, were it not for Hiram, the temple wouldn't have been built. He'd given the cedar, the fir, the gold. Uh, Hiram had been a tremendous friend. In chapter 9, verses 15 through 24, uh, when the Lord appears to Solomon in Gibeon, he gives him, he gives him riches and honor, that there's no king like him. Now, in chapter 9, verse 15, and this is the reason of the levy which King Solomon raised, for to build the house of the Lord in his own house, and Milo, and the wall of Jerusalem, and Hazar, and Megiddo, and Gezer. For Pharaoh, king of Egypt, had gone up and taken Gezer, and burned it with fire, and slain the Canaanites that dwelt in the city, and given it for a present unto his daughter, Solomon's wife. And Solomon built Gezer, and Beth Horon, the nether, and Balath, and Tadmor, and the wilderness and the land. And all the cities of store that Solomon had, and cities for his chariots, and cities for his horsemen, 
and that which Solomon desired to build in Jerusalem and in Lebanon in all the land of his dominion. And all the people that were left of the Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, which were not of the children of Israel, their children that were left after them in the land, whom the children of Israel also were not able utterly to destroy. Upon those did Solomon levy a tribute of bond service unto this day. But of the children of Israel did Solomon make no bondmen, but they were men of war. And his servants, and his princes, and his captains, and rulers of his chariots, and this, his horsemen. These were the chief of the officers that were over Solomon's work, 550, which bear rule over the people that wrought in the work. But Pharaoh's daughter came up out of the city of David under her house, which Solomon had built for her. Then did he build Milo. God kept his promise to prosper Solomon. Solomon's father, David, obviously had conquered much territory, added it to the kingdom. They had peace all around him. There was an international network that would make Israel powerful among all the nations of the world. David was a mighty general and one to be feared. Solomon was a shrewd diplomat, a great politician, if you would. And he used, no, used every opportunity that came his way to increase both his wealth and his power. Now, we don't usually think of Solomon as a, really as a, might, a military man, but in 2 Chronicles chapter 8, verse 3, we do read about you know, one exploit recorded in Scripture, 2 Chronicles 8, 3. I'll read that for you. And Solomon went to Hamath Zobah and prevailed against it. So he does have a victory. Hamath was a city north of Damascus at the farthest northern border of the kingdom. And uh, the people of this area would attend the dedication of the temple. The city was situated on an important trade route from which Solomon could collect custom and duty and also guard against invaders. So it was a strategic place uh, to take Hamath. Along with Hamath, Solomon fortified Hazor, Megiddo, and Gezer and made them store cities. That's his places where chariots, horses, arms, food uh, were stored for the Jewish troops. Solomon knew if he doesn't protect these outlying areas of the kingdom, he's susceptible to being attacked and overrun by uh, foreign invaders. And so he does his thing. He also strengthened and extended Milo. What is Milo? This is the terraced area next to the walls of Jerusalem that buttressed the wall and gave more protection. So, so he, he beefs up the walls, if you would. Uh, the word Milo means to fill. An earth-fill fortification. And so, uh, you know, it was begun by David, 2 Samuel 5, and continued by Solomon. And king and his family, the people of the city, and the wealth in the temple, uh, and the palace all had to be protected. Realize this, I mean, it's kind of like the wealthy people today, they have bodyguards, they have security systems, they have all sorts of measures in place uh, to protect their assets. And to protect their wealth. Protect their persons, right? Because... Uh, it could very well be that maybe one of their own family could come under uh, a great danger. So he can, to do all of this work, he conscripts aliens or foreigners uh, in Israel. The descendants of the Canaanites had once ruled the land. So those who are living in the land, much like, remember the Joshua chapter 9, the Gibeonites, they make that covenant with Israel. They're hewers of wood and all that stuff. So he conscripts these people who are not Jewish to do a lot of work. In building the temple, he also enlisted the temporary help of Jewish men. Now, in First uh, Kings chapter nine, verse twenty-five, and three times in a year did Solomon offer burnt offerings and peace offerings upon the altar which he built unto the Lord. 
And he burned incense upon the altar that was before the Lord, so he finished the house. So he takes great pains to make sure to celebrate the Passover, uh, the Pentecost, and tabernacles. Now there are three feasts that signify the death of the Lord Jesus Christ today. Uh, the Lamb of God, you know, obviously who died for our sins, and the resurrection of Christ. So we have the death of Christ, the resurrection of Christ, and then there's the coming of the Spirit of God. And in the future, we'll have the regathering of all of God's people in God's kingdom in heaven. So the Passover to the Jewish people, it looks back at their deliverance from Egyptian bondage. We understand that. First fruits, Pentecost, it celebrates the goodness of God in sending them a harvest. And Solomon lived in Jerusalem, and he set the example by going to the temple and offering sacrifices. At the same time as he's offering sacrifices, he's gathering to himself unbelievable wealth, chariots, wives. I mean, he's kind of a, a split mind here, and obviously Ecclesiastes talks about that. The burnt offerings signified absolute dedication to the Lord. The fellowship or peace offerings speak of God in communion with him. Uh, there's no instance of the people, common people, bringing any incense to be offered on the golden altar, since it was the, the task of the priests twice daily for them, uh, for the whole nation. Now, in Psalm 72, we find something interesting, the Psalm for Solomon. He mentions continual prayer to be made for the king, there in uh, Psalm 72, 15. And uh, we'll look at that real quick here, Psalm 72, 15. And he shall live, and to him shall be given of the gold of Sheba. Prayer also should be made for him continually, and daily shall he be praised. He's talking about the king being prayed for, but also praised daily there in Psalm 72, verse 15. You know, obviously with all the wealth, Solomon could have easily provided the incense for these priests. And... Solomon, in account in 2 Chronicles 8, actually does give an account that he would provide for this, uh, that whatever was needed for these feasts, uh, the special Sabbaths and new moons. He obeyed the law uh, the, of Moses, uh, and uh, you know Asaph was chief over the musicians. There were 4,000 singers divided into 24 uh, courses. Each singer ministered uh, at the temple two weeks every year. And a special choir of 288 singers. Can you imagine? I'm just thinking about the incredible size uh, of the temple. I mean, you have 288 singers there. Uh, you have 4,000 singers. They each, uh, you know, 28 apiece at a time. And they minister for two weeks at a time throughout the year. Uh, two weeks every year, these would come in. And, uh, I mean, just... Uh, Unbelievable. Actually, there was 4,000 singers in 24 courses, so they're separated, 4,000 into 24. So you have the 288 singers coming, special choir. That would be a pretty... Sp- <laughs> 288 people, that's a large choir. I mean, Pemina has a large one. I think it's, I don't even know, maybe 100, I don't know, something like that. It's a large one, 50 to 100. But just multiply that by two to four times, and you've got an incredible, incredible choir. Beautiful. And uh, Solomon was careful to see to it that David's songs and instruments were used. Now, in 1 Kings chapter 8, uh, verses 26, he expands his influence. 
We'll look at uh, 2 Chronicles chapter 8, uh, verse 17. Kind of also is a recount of this. Then went Solomon to Ezion Geber and to Elah at the seaside in the land of Edom. And Huram sent him by the hands of his servant ships and servants that had knowledge of the sea. Uh, and they went with, uh, I just lost my place. And they went with him, uh, and they went with the servants of Solomon to Ophir, and they took hence 450 talents of gold and brought them to King Solomon. And when the queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon, she came to prove Solomon with hard questions at Jerusalem with a very great company and camels that bear spices and gold in abundance and precious stones. And when she was come to Solomon, she communed with him of all that was in her heart. And Solomon told her all her questions, and there was nothing hid from Solomon which he told her not. And when the queen of Sheba had seen the wisdom of Solomon in the house that he had built, and the meat of his table, and the sitting of his servants, and the attendance of his ministers, and their apparel, his cupbearers also, and their apparel, and his ascent by which he went up into the house of the Lord, there was no more spirit in her. And she said to the king, It was a true report, which I heard in my own land, of thine acts and of thy wisdom. How be it? I believe not their words until I came, and mine eyes had seen it. And behold, the one half of the greatness of thy wisdom was not told me. For thou exceedest the fame that I heard. Happy are thy men, and happy are these thy servant, which stand continually before thee and hear thy wisdom. Blessed be the Lord thy God which delighted in thee to set thee on his throne, to be king for the Lord thy God, because thy God loved Israel, to establish them forever. Therefore made he thee king over them to do judgment and justice. And she gave the king an hundred and twenty talents of gold and of spices great abundance and precious stones. Neither was there any such spice as the queen of Sheba gave King Solomon. And the servants also of Huram and the servants of Solomon, which brought gold from Ophir, brought algum trees uh, and precious wood. And the king made of the algum trees terraces to the house of the Lord and to the king's palace and harps and psalteries for singers. And there was none such seen before in the land of Judah. So he makes a trade agreement. He was a great entrepreneur. He makes a trade agreement with many nations, builds a navy, hired Hiram's experts uh, to manage it for him. And being an inland people, the Jews, you know, they were not given to maritime pursuits. And so Solomon depends upon the Phoenicians a coastal people, to handle this aspect of his enterprise. He imports products from the east, enriching his coffers. I mean, it's all about wealth, wealth, wealth to Solomon. He's all about politics uh, of increasing his wealth, much like we might find today in some of the politicians. And uh, it gave him opportunities with all the wealth that Solomon was given, and, and even with the queen here, what was the purpose of Israel? They were to be a light to the nations of God. The house of God was to be a light to the world. That there is a God. The nations of the world at that time had heard, most many of them in that area had heard of their deliverance from Egypt. They knew of God's power and hand upon the Jewish people. They had a tremendous opportunity to advance the cause of God in evangelism and let people know how great God is, yet despite the wealth that God gave, they, they, they wasted the opportunities. They took all of this money. I mean, they could be a great and tremendous witness for God. 
you know, Solomon has to maintain a tremendously large budget, and he needed money to do, you know, for all that he was doing. On one trip back, they brought 420 talents of gold, which is about 16 tons. He also brings back with him on these ships luxury items like ivory, apes, and peacocks. It appears in Ecclesiastes 2, verses 4 through 9, that he would indeed have a zoo. And the visit of Queen of Sheba, chapter 10, verses 1 through 13 in 1 Kings, uh, which we read there in 2 Chronicles, very similar, that, you know, she was motivated by his, you know, his uh, enterprising endeavors. So she comes to him, she hears about his wealth, she hears about all that's going on, and, and she's just overwhelmed. She was, Sheba was a wealthy and highly civilized uh, nation located southwest Arabia. She brings some unbelievably expensive gifts, and he tells her all of his heart. What she hears leaves her breathless. You know, it was like, you know, like Thomas in the Bible. He says, Lord, I, I've heard of all that you've done. Look with me at John chapter 20. We'll, we'll look at this account of Thomas, doubting Thomas in John chapter 20. Again, Solomon takes the wealth that God has given to him and he squanders it for himself. He doesn't advance the cause of God. In fact, he would bring reproach. His own son, Rehoboam, has such a uh, lusting after all the wealth that he would end up deviating from God. Now He would be humbled. John chapter 20, verse 24, But Thomas, one of the twelve called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said unto him, We have seen the Lord, but he said unto them, Except I shall see in his hand the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. And after eight days again his disciples were within, and Thomas with them. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst, and said, Peace be to you. Then saith he to Thomas, Reach hither thy finger, and behold my hands, and reach hither thy hand, and thrust it into my side, and be not faithless, but believing. And Thomas answered and said unto him, My Lord and my God, Jesus saith unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed, blessed are, all, blessed are they that have not seen, and yet have believed. She is so impressed with the politeness, the joy, the organization, the administration, the logistics, the wisdom, the wealth of Solomon and his court. I mean, when you think about 1 Kings chapter 4, verse 7, and Solomon had 12 officers over all Israel, which provided victuals for the king in his household, each man his month and a year made provision. So he has 12 officers that are providing over his house. Solomon's provision for one day in chapter 4, verse 22 and 23 of 1 Kings, for one day was 30 measures of fine flour, three score, 60 measures of meal, 10 fat oxen, and 20 oxen out of the pastures, and in 100 sheep beside hearts, and roebucks, and fallow deer, and fatted fowl. Every day. I mean, he would have had to have had a huge herd of, of animals. I mean, just unbelievably large to feed all of those that are within the kingdom for, that are working for him, right? 
She walks with him on the private concourse to the temple. She watches him worship. 1 Kings chapter 10, verse 5. the meat of his table and the sitting of his servants and the attendance of his ministers and their apparel and his cupbearers and his ascent by which he went up into the house of the Lord, there was no more spirit in her. He sees, she sees him worship. You know, I kind of think about it in our lives as God prospers us and God blesses us and God has recently you know, blessed the church in some ways. If we take the gifts that God gives and we don't use it to magnify and honor and glorify God, that it, is indeed, that it was you know, a, a gift, that it is of man but not of God, we are squandering opportunities. The queen couldn't contain herself. I mean, she announces publicly uh, just how magnificent that his people are, the, you know, verse 8, happy are thy men, happy are these thy servants which stand continually before thee, and that hear thy wisdom. She is saying, your servants are so happy just to sit and listen to you, Solomon. I mean, they want to, uh, to be around you. Uh, they want to, to hear from you. And yet, in Ecclesiastes, Solomon would say, vanity of vanity, all is vanity. Solomon would write in Proverbs 15, verses 16 and 17, Better is little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble therewith. Better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a stalled ox and hatred therewith. He's saying it's better if only thing you have is vegetables, herbs, than some really nice steaks from an ox. He said, I learned the lesson a little too late. I mean, you think about this, that what Solomon spoke excited the dinner guests. One of the dangers of living in this kind of situation is that we begin to take it for granted. We don't value what God's given. We don't value the blessings that God has bestowed upon us. We don't value the gifts and the things that God did. I mean, they, they've forgotten, Solomon really forgot where they had come from in bondage. I mean, yes, in his prayer he mentions it, but they forgot that they were slaves in Egypt several hundred years before. That they had wandered in a desert for 40 years and God had provided daily for them. They'd forgotten that God had given them Canaanite land, defeating their enemies when all the kings, came, when many kings came against them, they defeated them. They defeated one of the largest, most powerful nations there, they, not, uh, cities there, Jericho. And what God had given to them, he had defeated these nations of their gods, of their idols, right? Queen of Sheba would end up going back to worship her own god. Many times in politics, uh, you would go, and if, if there's a particular religion of that area, you are... Uh, in, in politics, I guess, you would compromise and say, well, I'll, I'll uh, go along with them. I'll worship with them, and, and I'll be a, a cordial with them. But I'm not willing to stand for God. Solomon didn't tell her about the greatness of God. Look with me in Matthew chapter 12. It kind of talks about this. Matthew 12, 39. What a tragedy for a lost opportunity that he would fail to speak 
of what God had done. It really is a very sad thing. Matthew 12, 39, But he answered and said unto them, An evil, Matthew 12, 39, An evil and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign, and there shall no sign be given to it but the sign of the prophet Jonas. For as Jonas was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh shall rise up in judgment with this generation, shall condemn it, because they repented at the preaching of Jonas, and behold, a greater than Jonas is here. The queen of the south shall rise up in the judgment with this generation, shall condemn it, for she came from the uttermost parts of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and behold, a greater than Solomon is here. She heard the wisdom of Solomon, but he didn't take that wisdom and tell her about the God that she needed to put her faith in. We can get, uh, you know, things that God can do. It might be in the workplace where we get promoted. We get, uh, you know, all things that God does in several areas in our lives. And we take account for it of ourselves rather than saying this is a gift of God. Some do. 1 Kings 3.16, we understand the justice of wisdom, right? The two women that came, the two harlots, and one baby dead and another alive, and then they were fighting and squabbling about it. And he dealt with that. And his door was open. And the queen of Sheba negotiates a pact with Solomon. But again, there is no evidence she put her faith in God. Now, the commercial network that Solomon would create would help the economy of the nation. It would help it to grow. It wasn't, uh, Israel wasn't supposed to be isolated, just as Christians today aren't supposed to be isolated. I mean, we don't live in little communes. We're not to be, you know, uh, shut off from the world. We're to be in the world, but not of the world, right? We understand that. But ultimately, he would succumb to idolatry and foreign wives. 1 Kings 11.1, 1, uh, going back there to 1 Kings, But King Solomon loved many strange women. Together with the daughter of Pharaoh, women of the Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Zidonians, and Hittites. Solomon lived in splendor. And God promised to give Solomon wisdom, and he did. Solomon lived in it. You know, Solomon's annual income was 666 talents of gold, 25 tons. Taxes, levies, tolls, customs, trade, tributes, and gifts. Now, why did he need 500 shields requiring 2,500 pounds of gold? Why did he need the ivory? Why, did he, why must he you know, have his guests drink from the gold vessels? What purpose were these thousands of chariots and horses? Deuteronomy chapter 17, there is a warning given in Deuteronomy chapter 17, uh, verse 14. In Deuteronomy chapter 17, verse 14, it reads, When thou art come unto the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee, and shalt possess it, and shalt dwell therein, and shalt say, I will set a king over me, like as all the nations that are about me, thou shalt in any wise set him king over thee, whom the Lord thy God shall choose. One from among thy brethren shalt thou set king over thee. Thou mayest not set a stranger over thee, which is not thy brother. But he shall not multiply horses to himself, nor cause the people to return to Egypt to the end that he should multiply horses. For as much as the Lord has said unto you, ye shall henceforth return no more that way. Neither shall he multiply wives to himself, that his heart turn not away. 
neither shall he greatly multiply to himself silver and gold. And it shall be, when he sitteth upon the throne of his kingdom, that he shall write him a copy of this law and a book out of that which is before the priests and the Levites. And it goes on in verse 20, that his heart be not lifted up above his brethren, that he turn not aside from the commandment to the right hand or to the left, to the end, that he may prolong his days in the kingdom, he and his children in the midst of Israel. It was exactly here in this, exactly what Solomon did. He not only acquired thousands of horses, but he came a horse lead dealer himself. This passage of scripture, I mean, basically is God saying, Solomon, you are not to be, it's not about accumulating all this wealth to yourself. You are to be about me and letting people know that they need God. Solomon's heart was lifted up with pride. Proverbs 16, 18, pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. To the world of that day, to the Jewish people, Solomon became a model of wealth and splendor, and no doubt it, that of envy. And rather than trusting the Father, as Matthew 6 tells us, that God will clothe the grass of the field and he'll take care of us, true beauty comes from within, from within the hidden heart of the man, hidden man of the heart, excuse me. You know, a Roman proverb says, riches are like salt water, the more you drink, the more you thirst. Henry David Thoreau said that a man is rich in proportion to the number of things he can afford to do without. And finally, in Matthew 16, 26, For what is a man profit if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? As we think about this, Solomon, uh, in this passage of Scripture, kingdom, power, and glory. Yes, he built the temple. Yes, he was used of the Lord. But he used these magnificent opportunities and he squandered them. And I trust in our lives the wealth that we have here in North America, here in Canada, that here in Thompson, of our own personal riches that God's given to us, use what we have to be able to give glory and honor to the Lord. You know what? God will be glorified when we do that. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your, your gift of life and your graciousness and mercy. Father, I pray that you'd help us to be pleasing to thee. God, guide us, mold us, and make us. Lord, I pray that our hearts would not be lifted up with pride, but Lord, we would just trust you. Lord, I love you and thank you for your wonderful grace. Help us this day to be pleasing to thee. In Jesus' precious name I pray.